So today we want to talk about feeling good about what you do. And that's my question. Did you feel good about what you did this week? How many did? Okay, some of the rest of you guys are going to have to work on it. I'm uh, glad that a lot of you felt good about what you did this week, because sometimes that's a difficult thing for us. Is We get so many things we don't want to do. We don't want to wear a mask. We don't want to have to stay away from people. We don't want to say, well, okay, you can't hug, you can't do this, you can't do a lot of things, you can't eat at restaurants. or Well, you can, but it's just going to be especially difficult. And so you can do all of these things, but sometimes we don't necessarily feel good about what we do. I think we can. I think that's something that's important for us. What I want to show you in this last passage is we want to be at verse 7, don't we? I think that's the place where we need to be. The word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied. The people were obedient to the faith. That is three great phrases that he uses about the church. And yet as he gives you verse 7, you've got to realize that there were six verses before this in this chapter, and those six verses don't necessarily reflect that everything is good. And so we have to understand that as well. In order to get to verse 7, you have to get through all of the verses in in chapter 7, which is the first six verses. So they were not without problems, and the bigger the church the bigger the problems. At least that's been my experience all the way through. Anytime you increase to more than two, you know, you're going to have bigger problems. And so that's what happens with us a lot of times is, you know, we want a lot of people. That means you want a lot of problems, right? Say yes. We want a lot of problems because that means God has trusted us with a whole lot of people to be able to care for. And that's really what he, what he talks about. So as you look at this passage and look at what they were doing, they had a problem. Well, they had a complaint. Has, have you guys ever had a complaint? Do you know of anybody who's complained in the last week about anything? Certainly not. They had a complaint by the Greeks that their widows were not being taken care of in the daily distribution of food. And so what had happened is a lot of people had come to Jerusalem. They had come for the feast. They had stayed because they had been converted. And so they didn't want to go back home. There's no church back home. Church has not spread. And so they want to stay there. And so while they're intent on staying there, there aren't any jobs. Widows don't usually work, especially during this time. Men were supposed to work. Women would stay home. They didn't have a lot of place where women were able to be out and in the workforce like we do today. And so there wasn't a lot for them. And so because of this, the church had decided that they would help and they would do, we call it Meals on Wheels, Uh, but they would take food to a lot of these. Well, some of the Greeks looked at this and went, hey, I think our widows are not getting as much as some of the Jewish widows. That's a serious thing. 
Is it true? It doesn't matter if it's true. We read it and we say that they had this complaint. Was it really happening? Well, I know of a person who, and we can list one person who didn't get their food, so obviously it's a racial thing, right? Is it a problem of race? We don't know that it even actually was there. Is it a problem of age? See, if they weren't older and widows, they would have gotten the food. So it is, is it a prejudice against age? Is it a prejudice against race? Is it even a problem at all? And it doesn't matter because we've got the complaint. And so the complaint is, I think you're not treating our people like you should be. So now what are the apostles going to do? Well, you can read the story. We just read it. Thank you, Matt, for reading that. And so what they say is, we're still needing to pray and to preach. And so here's the solution. We're going to ask you to go and find seven men that we can appoint and put in charge of this, and that will solve the problem. And so they do. They go find seven men, and they don't just say, okay, now you guys get busy. No, they bring them to the apostles. They lay their hands on them, and so they appoint them officially. This is your job. This is your place. You have this ministry to take care of this problem, to take care of these widows, so that everybody knows, because they had gathered everybody together to say, here is how we're solving this. We are trusting seven guys to be able to figure this out. Now, I imagine it took a lot more than seven people because the church is in the thousands by this time, and there are widows, and you can tell feelings are running high, and you can tell that things are difficult. And so, whatever it is, solve the problem. That's what they're given. It's not, well, okay, take food to people. Well, that would be important as well, but it's solve the complaint, so that we don't have this anymore. And it doesn't matter how much food you have to take to them or what it is, we need to resolve this problem so that within the church, we do not have this kind of complaint. And so that's what they're doing with all of this, is the apostles don't want to give up prayer. They don't want to give up preaching the word because those things are very important. But that's what they do in order to solve this. This is how the church works. This is how the church has worked ever since I became a Christian, ever since I was little. And it seems to do fairly well. It worked back then. It still works today. Whenever there's something that is not working, whenever there's a complaint, or wherever there is a need, wherever we see a new ministry beginning, We find someone, we appoint that person to be in charge, we say, this is your place, and we recognize it, and we say, here is what we want you to do, and then we let them do it. We let them solve the problem, and so that's what he's talking about here. Would you like to be part of a church like that? You know, they have complaints about widows. They don't take care of old people, after all, and we think it's the Greeks, Those Jews are prejudiced against the Greeks, and we... No, they solve the issue. 
And I think everybody can say, yeah, that's what I want to be a part of. I would feel good about that kind of action. I would feel good being a part of it because they looked at the situation. They looked at what happened. It doesn't matter if the complaint is valid or not. They decided they're going to do something with it. And so they figure out how to do it. And and so as you look at all of this, it's important to realize that. They even have the list of names. You realize we have the names of the 12 apostles. And then we have the names of the seven men serving food to widows. Matt did a great job of reading these names. Yeah, Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Timon, Nicolaus, Parmenas. That's not right. Parmenas, Nicanor. You recognize those names? Not a lot, because this is the only time they get mentioned. Now, Stephen goes on and does some other stuff. But it was important about it enough to mention and to write down in the Bible, these are the names of the guys who took care of food to widows. You realize we don't have a list of membership of any church This is the ones that we've got. We have apostles and we have the guys who took care of this. And so I think it's important for us to realize that these guys are important. They organize the fix. They figure out how to do it. So that when the church grew, everyone feels good about it. Everyone likes it. You do things that you have to do. And then you feel good about it when you've done something that you had to do. Now, you may not like the what you have to do, but you always feel good about it after you did it and it works. And so everybody feels good about the fix and solving the problem and doing something different. So let me just ask, do you ever feel bad about what you do? I'm not going to ask for hands. Uh, It might be the same number of people. You ever feel guilty about something that you did? And, well, it kind of gets to all of us. We're not going to feel good about everything. That's just the way it is. We're not going to feel good about everything that we do. Some things we want to do. Some things we don't want to do. Some things you drag yourself to do. Some things are just, I don't like doing this. I don't want to do this. It's just... And the lawn is this high, and I need to mow it, but it's too high to mow now. The garage needs to be cleaned out, the whatever. All the things that we've drug our feet on. In fact, it, we put ourselves through more pain dragging our feet on things than if we actually just jumped in and did it. It would be so much easier. We would feel good about it, but we go through lots of energy and resisting just in order not to. So... How do you feel good about what you do? I saw this, and this is just an example. How do you feel good on hot days? This has nothing to do with the sermon. I just thought it was, here's how you do it. You have to live in Arizona to appreciate this. Anywhere else, and you're not going to get it. But there are some ways to make yourself feel good and to be able to get past some of the things that we have to deal with. So do things that are needed. That's important for us. Do things to help someone. You're going to feel good about helping someone. Do things that bring meaning. 
You're going to feel good when you've done something that is meaningful. Do something about it on purpose. I decided I was going to do this. I wanted to do this. And so now we're going to do it. And it's going to make a difference. So how many times do you feel good even if what you had to do wasn't fun? And I think sometimes we're going to run into that. Sometimes it's just out-and-out opposition. And so there's another story with the early church and with some of the things that happened with them. The high priests and the Jews, the leaders, did not like them preaching. And so they were against them. They threw Peter and John in prison. They got out. Then they throw all of the apostles in prison. And they begin to warn them, I don't want you to preach about Jesus anymore. And so they have thrown them in prison. They believe that they're going to be in in there and we can solve this problem. Well, an angel comes and lets them out and says, I want you to go stand in the temple court and I want you to preach. And so they get there and they begin preaching about daybreak, which, you know, I don't know when they got out. Right now, daybreak's about 6.30. I don't know when daybreak was for them. A couple of months ago, it was 5 a.m., and so they started preaching at daybreak, and it's what God wanted them to do. And I think they probably felt good about doing what God wanted them to do. Wouldn't you like that? That would be kind of an amazing thing. We had an angel. We got to see an angel, and he came, and he got us out, and this is going to be I'm not sure fun is the right word, but it's going to be one of those amazing things that God is involved in doing. Well, the council doesn't even know this, and so they send for them, we're going to bring you before the council, and they're not there. There's guards in an empty prison, and that's all they've got. And so they hear somehow later on, well, the guys you had locked up, they're over in the temple preaching like you told them not to. And so they go get them, bring them, and he says, we told you not to. And Peter's famous statement, we must obey God rather than men. Now what are we going to do? Well, they are so upset. They are so angry. They want to kill these guys. Do you like it when people are mad at you? Yeah, I don't like that part either. Whether I did something wrong or didn't do something wrong, sometimes people are going to be mad at us, right? Is it their fault? Well, yeah, because they're preaching, but they're supposed to be preaching. And sometimes we don't like it when that happens. But we should live for God, and that makes us feel good. And so what do you do with all of this? And they're kind of at this standstill of, you know, we think we're going to kill you guys. And they're like, well, we're not backing down. We're going to preach. And Gamaliel steps in. And he says, let's wait a minute and look at the problem. And so he says to them, here's what happens. We had a guy named Theodos, and he had about 400 followers claiming to be a Messiah and... Once you killed him, it was done. And then, you know, another guy came along, Judas the Galilean. He's the guy, he had many followers after him. You assassinated him and it disappeared. It broke up. 
And then this Jesus of Nazareth came along and uh, you crucified him. And his followers are still here. And it is getting worse. And they are talking more. It might be because you're against them. Because if there's no source, if there's nothing to it, then it just vanishes away. Because nobody cares. They don't keep it up unless they have something they're fighting against. Good principle, right? How do you solve a fight? Just leave it to one person. If the other people quit, And he says, well, maybe we should do that in this case and see whether it's really from God or not. Because if it's from God, you don't want to be fighting against God because you're going to lose. And so let's leave them alone and see what happens. And so that's what they do. And as you look at this, let me read to you the passage. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. What an amazing thing that is. They left the council with joy. They're rejoicing. Why? Because they had been beaten? Because they had been threatened? Because they had almost been killed? Because they'd spent part of a night in jail? No, none of that but because they had been found worthy to speak for God. They had been found worthy to suffer for God. That's a strange place to find joy, isn't it? But when you have something that is that meaningful, when you have something that has that much purpose about it, and when you believe it that much, they consider this something that they feel good about that they have been found worthy to suffer for it. And so they rejoiced that they were able to suffer dishonor for Jesus' name. And every day in the temple, and every day in each other's houses, they did not cease teaching Jesus. Is it fun to teach about Jesus? Well, sure. It's a lot of fun when you see the response of people, and you can see there's a lot of response. Then why don't we do it more? That's your question. Then why don't we do it more? If they found so much joy in being able to do this, even in the space of opposition, then why don't we do it more? Does it make you feel good to do it? Do you feel good about what you're doing, about the meaning, about the purpose, about what God does? If they backed off and let us do 
anything that we wanted, what would happen? Would Christianity flourish today? Or would we go, well, you know, we're just not getting that much opposition, so I guess we'll quit. Really? Or would we ramp up and say, man, now we can do all kinds of things. Now we're able to do great things. And that's what the early church did, and I think that's where we are. The more you get ignored, the less you do. Really? Or maybe the more you get ignored, the more you're able to do because now we don't have any limits, we don't have any block on us, there, and we can do all kinds of things. What a great thing that is for us to be able to do that. We will never get the joy of doing something for the name of Jesus if we make everything too hard. It's too difficult. I don't like it. It's work. It is. And it takes some effort. But the joy of seeing somebody respond is amazing. It is just incredible. We don't always get to see it because we don't see everything that people are doing. I know there's cards that go out that a lot of you write. I know there's meals that are taken that a lot of you do. I know there's phone calls that are made and there are emails that are made and there is encouragement that is given and we don't see it. But there is a tremendous amount of things that has happened and you can feel good about the fact that you're doing it. Because you are doing something for God. And that's important. Acts chapter 8, we see Philip has been told to go stand on a road. Um, That always, you know, throws me off. He's been told to go stand on a road. Yep, Philip is told to go stand on a road. And while he's standing on the road, it goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a desert road. It's hot. And no, there's no ice for your dog. Uh, that's where they are, and he's just standing there. And pretty soon a chariot comes by. Well, chariot, okay. He's hitchhiking at that point. Do you need a ride? Yes, he joins the chariot. The guy is, is there. He's got his scripture out. He's trying to figure it out. How can I make sense of this? What is it that's going to happen? And so he asks him, well, what are you reading? And he says, well... I'm reading Isaiah. Do you understand it? No, I don't understand it at all. Is he talking about himself? Is he talking about somebody else? It just doesn't make sense. And you know how scripture can get sometimes, especially when you're looking at a prophet from a thousand years ago and you're going, I don't know, is this going to make any kind of sense at all? And he says, well, let me explain to you. And so he tells him about Jesus. Verse 35 starts, And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water, prevents me from being baptized. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Philip... The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and he saw the eunuch, and and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But the Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, and he preached the gospel to all the towns 
until he came to Caesarea. What caused the rejoicing? Standing on a desert road, waiting for somebody to come by. And so here he is, and and he's not given clear directions, at least as far as we have recorded, but he sees the opportunity. There's somebody that might need Jesus, and actually he's coming back. He's already a Jewish convert, and so he has been to Jerusalem, and now he's on his way home, and he has questions about Scripture. Philip is there. He says, look, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And it says they went down into the water. They came up out of the water, and then he goes on his way rejoicing, and Philip is needed somewhere else. One of those, yeah, I don't know how that happens, but anyway... Right place, right time. Has that ever happened? Does that give you joy? And so how do you tell if you're in the right place at the right time? Or can we just assume we're in the right place and now is the right time? And we're looking for what God wants us to do. And that's just one of those things that happens all around us all the time. And so, yeah, we're going to be rejoicing in just a minute because of all the things that are happening. And that's how God works, and that's what God does. And I want you to know that whether it is in persecution, whether it is because of complaints, or whether it is, you know, I just happen to be standing on a road, you're going to find a way to rejoice when it's not Because I feel good, I feel good because God's working. Because there's something great that God's doing. And what an amazing thing. So about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, I get a call from someone. And I think they had watched our service and they asked this question. Are you open for baptism? Hmm, let me think about that. <laughs> Has the quarantine stopped baptism? Uh, no. Yes, we are absolutely open for baptism. And so a lady named Heidi Howard came and said, I want to be baptized. I was baptized when I was younger, and I want to do it now because I didn't know things then and it was just to get out of hell then and I think I need baptism now. I try not to argue with people like that. I try to say, okay, let's do what is going to be your faith and what you believe. And so Heidi came and Heidi was baptized here. Hello, Heidi. And there was lots of joy. What a great thing. Heidi has started a new job. She is watching us online. And so sometime you will get to meet Heidi. And so I just want you to know there's a new sister. I want you to know it still works. I have never seen people unhappy at a baptism. Have you? 
people are all sad and depressed. Oh, they got baptized. I'm, I'm so sorry. It just does not happen that way. Everybody is excited about it. Even when they recognize the difficulties, even when they recognize it's going to be hard, they see it and they go, this is a great thing. And everyone rejoices regardless of what's going on in their life. It's just one of those things that is so amazing because you can see purpose, you can see meaning. It is important. And so... Paul tells us in Romans, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Is that hard to do? Not at all. Because it's always great when somebody else has something good happen. And so we can rejoice with them because they've got something good that happened. And even if we didn't, hopefully we're not immature enough to feel like, well, we've got to get the new toy too. Somebody's got to do for us. Just be happy for them. And so we can rejoice with them about the good things. And we can be happy for they are. What about weeping with someone who is sad? Would you avoid that and say, yeah, I hate that? Not at all. It usually makes us feel good, doesn't it? Not the fact that they've got something sad going in their life, but the fact that we were able to pray with them, that we were able to be with them, that we were able to do what we could with them, and so we're going to feel good about that too. Whether it's rejoicing that they have, or whether it's difficult they have, or whether it's food that's not delivered, or whether it's persecution that's there, we're going to do something about it because of God. And that's really the way it works. It may be a sad time, but we can be God's voice, God's hands. And so when we do what God wants, we will feel good about what we do. So I want you to be able to feel good about things this week, and that's the way to do it. We've got a few things to pray about. This week, I've had friends come down with COVID, and no, it wasn't the president, by the way. It was other people that I knew. It's difficult for them, hard stages of life. But I just want to ask for you today, can we rejoice with you today? Do you have something you want to share with us and come and let us pray about that and rejoice with you? Or maybe you have something you're crying about. Can we do that with you? Can we pray with you? Can we weep with you? Because we want to feel good about what we do, that we can be the hands of Jesus. It might be time for you to do something about where you are now. And this group of people is especially good at helping.